This podcast is presented by Pacific Office Automation, proud partner of the Arizona Cardinals, and your one-stop shop for optimizing all your office technology. Visit PacificOffice.com. Problem solved. Is it caught? Is it caught? Oh my goodness, it's caught! DeAndre Hopkins caught it! He caught it for a touchdown! You've got to be joking me! Welcome to Cardinals Underground, presented by Pacific Office Automation. Visit PacificOffice.com. Problem solved. Touchdown, Kyler Murray. That defender is in multiple pieces. Oh, that was nasty right there, right? The latest news and notes from the guys who cover the team. Drilled by Simmons. Isaiah Simmons is balling. Bring it on, bring it on. Slammed to the ground by Buda Baker. Like a torpedo, he came flying into the backfield. I ain't scared of nobody. Here's Paul Calvisi. Gentlemen, is this what we call, because I need somebody to refresh my memory ASAP, is this what we call a radio studio? Are we actually sitting in a radio studio and no longer have to deal with the home field disadvantage of, oh, I don't know, the washing machine going off or maybe the Amazon delivery guy disrupting things and you got to yell down the line to everyone stay off any of the bandwidth because we're recording, you know, none of the, We don't have to worry about any of those disadvantages and distractions because, wait for it, we're actually sitting in the Dignity Health Arizona Cardinals Training Center and the radio studio, are we not, Darren Urban and Kyle Hodegaard? Yeah, and my dogs are a little bit unhappy because they're no longer going to be the stars of the podcast in the background. And <laughs> I'm, right. I'm a little bit worried because if we dip into leadership talk on this podcast, now you can physically come across the table <laughs> and take me out. So please, no leadership yeah, talk on that, this that, podcast. That was, uh, Security nah. has been alerted, by the way. They're, they're, they're on alert and uh, the cameras are on in this part of the facility. Put it that way. Now, now people who are calling me a somebody who was stirring up the the stuff a little while ago with the leadership now i got now, yeah. now i got a real reason for it so no residuals for your dogs kyle uh they're no longer actually part of the podcast so uh, no more claims to any sort of uh you know rights fees or what have you i'm gonna miss the tiny dinosaur in the very back of kyle's <laughs> yeah. room you know, Darren, no more relying on your 19-year-old for any sort of quick research. That's true. Yeah. So, you know, you're on your own now. Your keister's blown in the wind here the, at Cardinals the two Underground. Yes. in his house. And we're still brought to you by Pacific Office Automation, proud partner of the Arizona Cardinals. I'm not sure what is more shocking, speaking of Darren, the reality of being back in studio after 14-plus months <laughs> or so, or the reality that hits you hard, bro, possibility that our own Darren Urban might be rocking a neck tattoo in the near future please tell i i feel like i'm on the outside looking in on this story this this seems like it got way out of control already uh yeah our good friend uh felipe who's on the other side of the glass for us today oh perfect uh, and uh he had originally said uh as a suns fan if the suns win i believe a title i'd like to think it was the title he was gonna for real get a tattoo okay and uh, I just ret- responded to the tweet with some uh, an emoji saying, you know, basically big eye emoji. That's, you know, that's a big thing, a tattoo. Um, and then he nicely asked if I would get one. And I nicely responded, hell no, in tweet form. <laughs> I, say, I said, hell no. And then the next thing I know, and I was, I was out of pocket for like an hour that afternoon. I get out of where I was for like that hour and I noticed that our good friend Lisa Matthews had tweeted out that I somehow 
was supposed to get a tattoo if her tweet about it got a thousand retweets, which I knew nothing about. And then all of a sudden it just caught fire. Larry Fitzgerald's chiming in saying I should get it on my neck. We all know he stirs the crap sometimes. Right. Hashtag it can always get worse. Larry getting I into mean, it. I got photoshops of me with a neck tattoo. I got people from other teams retweeting me that I don't even know, but Lisa's got friends in high places. I mean, I got ex-players, Britton Golden and Earl Watford are retweeting this <laughs> okay. stuff. I mean, what's going right. on here? So before we move on here, Kyle, what are the terms by which Darren has to get a neck tattoo? I, I need to know. I mean, what has to happen? What can I do personally yeah. to make sure it does happen? 1,000 retweets, and he's contractually obligated to get a tattoo. And I, think I saw it was like 700 or 800, so it's getting close. <laughs> I see. See, I, I, you know what? This actually leads us. I know it's a little early in this edition of Cardinals Underground, but we have a lot to get to. This leads us into our latest Fitz theory. Oh, good. Okay. I it like really it, does. I like getting to this early. Larry okay. cannot give up. Forget football. He can't give up giving guys trash talk in the locker room. He's just not ready for it. Larry, I mean, that's that's his daily inspiration and motivation to drag his rear out of bed before the sun even rises is to get into the facility and start flipping guys some stuff. And Darren included, especially the media included. So with that in mind, I think that reinforces Larry is tracking to come back. <laughs> that that uh that actually isn't the worst idea the idea that he would be missing that part of it he clearly is i mean if if he's if he's missing that so much that he's decided to chime in on my situation yeah <laughs> he, right. he certainly seems like he doesn't want to be stuff. reduced to responding on twitter to media members going forward i mean he's got to you know fresh meat he's got to get in there there's a whole rookie class he has to take advantage of that's just wetting the palate a little bit now <laughs> he's going right. to get excited and he's going to come that's back right. just because of darren's neck tattoo One, once upon a time back in the day quick story i, I don't get the beat like a wolf but uh back in the day we were staying a couple of days in nashville uh, in the preseason, I think this was would have been 2010, um, between the Bears and Tennessee game, and we so we're in this Tennessee hotel, and at the, Larry's um, social media guy at the time was based in Nashville, and he had asked to meet with us, and you know I I was fine with that, I could meet with the guy. Um, for some reason, Larry wanted to be there. I was a little surprised he didn't have to be there, but he had some time, so we're all sitting there, and I I might have gone out the night before. There's a possibility <laughs> of that. And um, I put my phone down, which was a huge mistake. And I'm talking with a guy. And the next thing I know, I see Larry with my phone. And then I'm, I'm like kind of looking at him while I'm trying to have this conversation. And he smiled and he gave it back to me. And I totally didn't trust him. So I went on my Twitter feed and Larry had tweeted out as me something about, you know, I, he literally <laughs> said from my tw Twitter account, I spent too much time in the bars last night or something like that. I'm like, come on, dude. You can't be doing that. So on your Twitter account, you confess to a hangover. Uh, yeah. I see. I see. But uh, Larry, Larry, the only reason, you know, Larry's doesn't, it's not like he's like putting his like LF at the bottom. Right. Uh, just unnamed sources. Uh, he tweeted out, except it was, it was he Larry himself. So that's good. All right. So ask not what your neck tattoo can do for you but what you can do for darren's neck tattoo as we continue with this uh, edition of cardinals underground uh larry we don't expect to see you in any of the off-season activities but that's my segue who are we going to see out here and when and why and where and somebody please break it down for me i, I think that's a good question paul i mean they're, they're still i think working on a lot of the specifics and and 
just as a quick review for those that don't know, um, and my arm straight up in the air. <laughs> <laughs> the, there's a there's there's been a push from veteran players throughout the NFL this offseason to cut down on the amount of voluntary work they have to do in the offseason and then also cut down on the extensiveness of it. They they don't mind necessarily the learning part of it, the walkthroughs. They they'd rather not have as many practices and actual uh, you know physical you know, outpouring at this point in the offseason, which I get that part of it too. Yeah, but so. Tom Brady's on his Instagram account yeah, well. sending out pictures of his workouts with the Buccaneers on the field. Yeah, but just not at the. I I, I think it comes down to semantics a lot of it, Paul. So okay, I, I'm gonna I'm gonna stay out of the way because uh, you know I I know there are players that want to be here and do stuff, veterans, and I know there are veterans that don't want to be here. And I consider that all of them possible sources, so I'm going to try not to get on the bad side of any of them. But um, lest they pick up your phone and start tweeting out as you exactly right. Um, I, I think uh, I think the Cardinals, and it's been reported, I think by Sports Illustrated had this, but I do think the Cardinals have worked out some stuff. The OTAs are definitely going to be cut down. I think the mini camp will be moved around a little bit in terms of timing. Uh, there'll be a lot less on field that there than there has been in the past, but. Considering nobody was on the field last offseason, it'll be a lot more than they got last offseason. And I do know the rookies have been here pretty consistently since the rookie minicamp. So th- those guys, the guys that need it the most, are getting a lot of that work. And I, you know, we'll we'll see how it unfolds and exactly what the dates are. But I do think the rookies themselves, like when you talk about Zayvon Collins and him having a bigger role at least he's getting some of that on-field work. See, that gets my attention. If they're moving around the mini camp, and then it makes you wonder, is it conflicting with my vacation plans? Kyle, you know, I, you know, I mean, nobody consulted yours truly over here as to the dates with which mini camp is going off and whether it might conflict with some vacation plans. Just take your vacation. There will be more <laughs> mini camps. There will be more right. off-season practices. Yeah, that is true. A mini we, camp we shouldn't do, interrupt anyone's life. You're right. We do know now that training camp, the, the league is aiming for everybody to start at the same time on mid Midnight, July 26th, I think, is like like, like a midnight madness thing. See, I just read July 31st is the well, expected start of training camp. The there July goes your 30, vacation. Here's, 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 here's how this goes, though. Because in the new My s- five-week vacation <laughs> is going to be interrupted on both ends. That's the problem. Um, <laughs> it's impacted on both ends. And that's only half of Paul's time because he's been here so long. Stop it. Um, so... So the idea the, here's the problem with with training camps now is the July 31st is when teams can practice, and your your problem now after what happened last year in the new CBA is all these players really like an, a, a long right. five day run up of right. like no pads. That's right. Just kind of walking around and doing stuff. So you're going to have an opening where guys have to show up, but you can't really do anything interesting. So they want to time it so that Saturday. You, you have people in the building watching at a real practice. so We can't even go Allen Iverson until day five. Yeah. I mean, honestly, we're talking about practice, man. But not until day five. Yeah. It used to be a three-day run-up. Now it's five. See, we almost shouldn't be talking about this right now, Kyle, because the bottom line is now that there's a good chance that the players are going to be gone even sooner this offseason, we're going to have even more dead time for you know all this stuff. We, we might actually have to take a couple weeks off from uh, – from the podcast, I have to f- have a feeling. And in fact, you guys are going to be on your own next week. I'm actually out of town. So, 
Wow. See, I didn't authorize that either. Okay. Well, <laughs> you know, I always find out uh, I'm as needed. That's how it, well, that's the base. Sort of like I'm only tier three around here, so I have no idea if the players are around or not because they don't let me within a country mile of the players. So I have to take your guys' word for it, Kyle, as to whether anyone's around or not. Man, I'm tier three as well. I just kind of <laughs> go into my cubicle and read some analytics sites and try to do stuff that way. <laughs> No, stop it. See, now you're sandbagging. You're like Larry Fitzgerald on the golf course. That's you're sandbagging right now because uh, this is quickly going to become an all-quote edition of Cardinals Underground, right? I mean, you guys are talking about how it might be dry and not much out there. Uh, hello, you go to azcardinals.com, and there's some pretty juicy quotes on there. Let's start with Chase Edmonds. You, you placed a call to Chase himself. I don't know if you were trying to get some insight into your NBA playoff pool here in the workplace. I'm not exactly sure because, you know, if there's one guy who's a go-to when it comes to the NBA and playoff analysis, it is Chase Edmonds. Darren, I know you fashion yourself as a hoops dude, but, uh, you know, Chase Chase is right. I mean, you you know. So, anyway, take it from there, Kyle, and what Chase had to say and especially about his role this year. Yeah, Chase, you're right. Chase is a really smart guy about a lot of topics. And I, I, I called him and wanted to ask about this opportunity to be, at least have a chance to be a lead back after three seasons of, I think we can all agree, the improvement he's shown over these three seasons. It's like, man, by last year, Chase Edmonds was one of the most potent skill players on this team. And still the question this offseason was, what kind of role will he have? Will he have a chance to be a quasi lead back? And he's not big enough to get 25 carries a game like, uh, you know, a Derrick Henry or something like that. But as he said, if he can get 16 carries and four or five catches, you're talking about 21 touches, which is basically a starting running back. And and he was very honest. I mean, I barely even had to ask the question before he was ready to say it's now or never for me and I'm ready to run through a damn wall for this opportunity. <laughs> I mean, he is pumped up to get this chance because he watched David Johnson come in and, and be the established guy and then – if Chase Edmonds doesn't get hurt, maybe it would have been him, but he got hurt and they traded for Kenyon Drake and Kenyon Drake was fantastic uh, down the stretch and got re-signed. So he's never had that opportunity and now he does. And it's really in his hands where James Conner is going to be a part of this offense, especially short yardage between the tackles running. But if Chase Edmonds has a good training camp, if he looks good early in the season, I think he's going to get as many touches as he shows he deserves. And for the first time in his career, it's set up like that. One of the things I really loved about the, the comments was the part that when he did talk about James Conner, and he's talking about being the lead back, but he's talking about, hey, at the end of the game, if we're trying to you know, milk clock and we need that bigger back, and if I'm on the sideline the last five minutes, I'm going to be rooting as hard as anybody for James Conner. I think that's huge. I know a lot of guys say stuff like that, but it felt like that was really genuine and knowing Chase was. Yeah, he's. I mean, he's just extremely realistic about everything. You talk about the NBA playoffs and him knowing that. He looks at it the same from a team-building structure. Like, I was talking to him about the draft, and he said, yeah, at 16, it looked like the way I was studying it, he's like, I like those corners, I like those wideouts. I knew they were gone, and I thought it was going to be Zayvon Collins or Najee Harris. And I said... Well, Chase, we all kind of thought the same thing, but it was a little different from our perspective because if they take Najee Harris, it doesn't affect me, but it affects you (laughs) pretty much. He goes, yeah, it does. Uh, But I was watching and wondering what they were going to do. And it's not like he said, oh, I didn't want them to take Najee. He thought it was a legitimate chance that he would have gone at 16 if it it turned out that way. And the fact that it didn't, he realizes so much now that – there's nobody blocking him from taking this role and running with it, and and we'll see what happens. I mean, 
He readily acknowledged there's questions about his size and his injury history and his production when he's gotten lead back carries. So it's not a slam dunk that he's going to do it. Um, but for the first time, he he has this chance, and he's really excited. I have his quote, what he told you right here on that front. He said, I know there's doubts about my frame and about how little I am and about, oh, he got injured when he had a full load or every time he gets a full load, he doesn't produce the same way. I read it all, bro. <laughs> yeah. End quote. And it made me think of the debate this we did. Yeah. <laughs> At least he said read, not watch. <laughs> AZCardinals.com, which I uh, somehow lost. Maybe that was uh, maybe that was Chase taking exception. And uh, he had something to say behind the scenes NBA referee style. I'm not exactly sure. But, I mean, yeah, I, I think I was the guy who cited the Miami game. What did he say about that? Where he had 25 carries, 70 yards rushing. We, we didn't get into it specifically, but he basically acknowledged that these are the question marks about him. And he said everybody's entitled to their opinion. He's not mad that people look at it that way because, like I said, he's just so realistic about it where he understands that he's five foot nine. He said he has put on a little bit of weight. He's trying to get a little bit bigger. I don't think he can put on a ton because of his frame. I mean, he's not tall. He's not this huge guy. But he's going to be as solid as he can. We've all seen it. He's in incredible shape. Like yep. the work ethic is unmatched. Um, but yeah, I think he he just knows that he has to prove it, and he does have that Giants game where he's basically had two games in his career where he got more than eleven carries. And one he was unbelievable, and the other one he struggled. So I think the jury is still out on can he do that consistently. But I don't want to say from one game or the other like this is who he is. I think we have to see if he gets. 10 games early on and he's a significant part then we'll be able to tell until then it's just a lot of conjecture yeah, and the Giants game was two years ago and if you remember that game that was the game where he had three touchdown runs of 20 yards or more I'm not sure he got touched though until he got to the second level the entire yeah. game I mean if you look at those two games one uh, I think that was right about the time when the the Cardinals were starting to figure out in Cliff Kingsbury's first season the Giants game where hey if we run the ball a little bit more we, we might be better suited um, and the Giants didn't have the best defense. And last year, uh, by the time Chase got those carries uh, against the Dolphins, um, number one, the running game was not clicking as well as it had been for whatever reason the year before. And number two, um, the Dolphins were a much better defense than the Giants. I mean, that's part of this, too. I mean, if you're going against really hard defenses, it's going to be harder to run the ball. And I just... I, I love everything about Chase. You know, you, you can't help but root for him. I, I love the guys that are driven um, but understand. I like, he talks about, hey, I read everything, bro. And it, I think it does motivate him. But it doesn't make him angry at everybody either, which that, that drives me up the wall sometimes. I mean, they are. it is because he's realistic. He does understand why there would be these questions. I just think the fact that, you know, not only is he putting on the weight, but he'll probably look even beefier because now he's only got one digit on his uniform. <laughs> and so, you know, it'll it'll look that he, much bigger. He'll, he'll look that much bigger on the field. He actually cited that. He said he had zero emotional attachment to 29, which I think we all get. But what was interesting is he said his nickname in, at Fordham was Deuce yeah. because he was 22. And he wants to go back to that. Hence, that's why he took number two. He he wants to be known as Deuce. Forget Chase Edmonds. Apparently, going forward, here to four, effective immediately, it's Deuce. Yeah, he said, at Fordham, I was the man. Everybody called me Deuce, and now I want to be called Deuce again, basically. And he, he feels like if he's called Deuce, that means he's performing like a number one running back. And we all know this is his contract year. And if he performs as a number one running back, 
those guys don't get $20 million a year or 15, but you know, if he performs well, it's still a good chunk of change in his pocket. And we can argue about what running backs should get. But when you're talking about real life money, like the difference between 3 million a year and 8 million a year is a really big deal. So we'll, we'll see how that all shakes out. But he, I mean, once again, very realistic about the contract. He said he's in, this didn't make the story, but he said he's in a similar spot as Kenyon Drake where Kenyon Drake was in Miami stuck behind guys he had his chance to break out his contract year and Kenyon Drake did so and Chase said he talked to Kenyon about that he's watched that and he says here's my shot if I can do what Kenyon did I mean Kenyon Drake got eight eight point five million dollars his contract year and now he got two more years for 11 I think about 17 million dollars guaranteed the last two years Chase Edmonds would obviously be thrilled if he can get $17 million guaranteed dollars off of this contract. He just has a real grip on reality. Yeah. yeah. When, he, when he said about, okay, if they would have taken Najee Harris, didn't he go on to say, realistically, I would have been hosed. Yeah. And I get it. Yeah. There's a first-round running back in the room. He's going to get the carries. My future would have been decided, for the most part, right there. I would not have been offered a second contract, at least nothing to which I aspire. So he gets that. He also gets the James Conner factor late in the game. You're trying to get first downs and run out the clock. You're going to bring in a big, bruising running back who who can move the chains and move the pile late in the game. So for such a young guy, he's he's always just had a good grip on reality and, and the business reality of the NFL. It feels like he could be a GM someday if that's what he really wanted to do. He does. He wants to be a GM or a coach. And that's how he said he looked at it. He's like, I'm not looking at it from myself point of view. I'm looking at it as a GM or a coach. That's why Najee made sense because him and James Conner in the last years of their deal, they know he said, you know, we're in kind of this win now mode where Najee could have contributed. He completely got it from an analyst perspective. It's just funny that he's talking like that, even though it would have severely affected him if it happened. And the other thing was he defined a 20 touch guy. Not everybody is a 20-carry running back, he said, but I can still be a 20-touch guy, meaning 15 carries and five receptions or 16 carries and four receptions. I thought that was a pretty astute observation on his part. Look, the, the reality is this. You can if – you're, if you're a player and, and you, you want to be able to push yourself, it doesn't matter what position you play or whatever, you, you want to believe the best in yourself. You want to believe you can be the guy. Every receiver wants to believe he can pull in 10 catches a game and, and get all these yards. Every running back wants to believe that he can carry it 20 to 25 times a game. If he just got the opportunity, he didn't. But everybody's not built like that. And one of the things I like about you know that point, and, and Kyle had pointed out earlier, the, the, the mixing up of the touches is – Chase understands that his optimum level to make him I, I don't I'm not necessarily gonna say make him a star, but making him a really good starting running back is not going to be getting those twenty five carries. If you give him twenty five carries, he is not gonna do as well as he could and it's just gonna reflect poorly on him. So why wouldn't you try and have a somewhat realistic viewpoint of, hey, if I'm this guy, if I'm Andy Isabella, I'm probably not gonna be a guy getting a dozen catches for 150 yards a game but if I do this role really well you know maybe maybe that's my opt uh, that's where I optimize myself in the pros I think I think if more players did that they they might come out a little bit more ahead I think 15 or 16 might be a little bit on the optimistic end I still think if he got 16 carries and four or five catches a game that might wear him down because of his frame by the end of the season but I could definitely see 
12, 13 carries. I think four or five catches a game is realistic. I mean, you see how much he's improved in the passing game. It's been stark to me where he came in as a rookie, I'd say below average, and now clearly above average as a receiver. Once again, a testament to his hard work. So maybe in that 15 to 17 touch range is kind of how I see it. But like we've said, I mean, the world is his oyster. If he comes in and, and averages five yards a carry like he's basically done the last two seasons, you're not going to want to keep that guy on the bench. Yeah. And he might not have the analytics of a Rondell Moore in college, but you get the ball to him in space, odds are he's going to make that first tackler miss. Yeah, That's what I love about Chase out of the backfield. So to recap, some of those quotes to Kyle in the anazcardinals.com, uh, he didn't say, indeed say it's now or never. Yep. when it comes to this fourth year, his rookie contract year, right? And he said, I got to make the most of it. He did actually say, I'm ready to run through a damn wall. <laughs> yep. I'm ready to prove myself right now. And he finished it up by saying, I'm going to go out there and I'm going to ball out this year. Let's see, as I flip through the article, he talked about, yeah, he knows there's doubts about the frame, you know, and all that kind of stuff. He also said, I believe if I have 20 touches in a game, I can make some special things happen, quote, end quote. I thought that was – and then about his number – he said, you know what, when I felt like I was the man, it was Deuce, meaning he was wearing 22, now he's going with two. That's what everybody called me, Deuce. Now I went back to number two, and hopefully I can change my life. It's pretty heavy. Yeah, it was. I, I mean, he's all in to this upcoming year, so that's going to be fun to watch. Yeah, that, It's going to be like a sub-narrative uh, all, all season long. And, and my question to the I'm ready to run through a damn wall answer was, do you feel pressure? Because we've been talking the whole interview about all this stuff. He goes, no, it's full speed ahead. I'm ready to run through a damn wall. So he's he knows, he knows it's heavy, but he's also, I mean, obviously it kind of is easy to see in those quotes, but he's so excited about this opportunity. And he, like all these guys, he's got ultra belief in what he can do. I think the offense fits him really well, and uh, I, I wrote he's he has he's averaged four point yard four point eight yards per carry under Cliff Kingsbury. That was also with these last two games last year where he was playing on a really bad ankle to the point where nobody thought he was going to play in that season finale against the Rams, and he played had three carries for negative three yards, was running around on one leg. So without that, he's at about five yards per carry under Cliff. So I think the the offense fits him well, and now it's just with a bigger workload, can he continue to do it? All right, how about this? On Cardinals Underground, brought to you by Pacific Office Automation, proud partner of the Arizona Cardinals. I'm going to read a quote for Darren Urban. He's going to tell me the player. Here we go. All right, we just had the Chase Edmonds quotes. Yeah. Identify the following player who said, and I quote, I say it every year, I'm only scratching the surface of my potential. End quote. I'm I'm guessing that there's a reason I selected you, by the way, and I read that particular quote. Hint, hint. It's an easy A in a test. Are you saying I don't scratch my surface? No, I I I I was in my car talking to Christian Kirk the other day when he mentioned these same words. To Ding! Me. Christian Kirk was the. Uh, as long as this last year has felt 2020, felt like five years, uh, the fact that you have Christian Kirk and Chase Edmonds, 2018 draft class, both going into their fourth year, uh, it's just crazy. I mean, yeah. you know, hashtag don't blink, right? So now all of a sudden, these guys have some very instrumental years, not only for the Arizona Cardinals, but in the hit zoom out, their NFL careers right now. Did you get that same sense of urgency when you talked to Christian Kirk, Darren? Yeah, you know, Christian wasn't somebody who was uh, – Coming up with the uh, the awesome, they were still good quotes. Uh, Chase might be uh, a Hall of Famer with quotes sometimes, so there's that. But no, Christian was great. 
he he also very much understands where he stands and I, and I he's in a different place than Chase. I mean, I think at this point Chase Edmonds it's been about the opportunity. I think with Christian, he knows that the opportunity has been there and he just hasn't been able to seize it as much as he would have liked. And uh, there was a stretch there early in the season, not right out of the box, but for I think weeks five through 10, something like that, where he had like six touchdowns and it looked like he was going to be that deep threat they needed and all that stuff. And it just kind of dried up on him. And, and look, we, we know what the situation is. He was playing outside. They were using Larry Fitzgerald in the slot. Now you sign A.J. Green. It makes a lot of sense to put Christian Kirk in the slot. Although, when I asked him about his role, he still played vague and said, we'll have to see what Cliff wants to do. I don't know if that's because he doesn't know yet or if he just prefers to defer to like not making a big deal about what Cliff wants to do, kind of keep it a secret. Um, but it just makes a lot of sense for Christian to be in the slot a little bit, share time with Rondale Moore or in four, four wide receivers uh, situations you've got those four guys assuming of course Fitz isn't back and uh, and and I, I he he basically said look I've I, I talk I've talked a lot and now's the time to do less talking and more playing essentially and uh, and he made it clear and I didn't put it in the story he's not saying and he's always been one of the best for us in terms of talking to us and and giving us quotes and and being with, he made it clear it's it's not like he's going to all of a sudden shut down interviews and not talk to reporters but i think he's a little tired just like we would be about hearing the question if he, he's a little tired about answering the question about like okay are you going to break out here are you going to be you know the second round wide receiver everybody wants and that, i mean that's been the expectation his second year and his third year where he had a good rookie year and it felt like okay Without these great receiving options, uh, Christian Kirk could be a thousand-yard receiver. I, th- I know I said that going into his second year, and also going into his third year, and it didn't work out. So he's almost nipping in the bud. Like, is this going to be the narrative again? Am I going to break out? Like, he feels like I didn't my first two tries when I when we talked about it, and I said I, I feel like I'm going to, and he doesn't want to say that again because it just feels like it's old hat, and and it's just something where. We keep asking him and he says yes. And now it's like, okay, I just want to show that I'm going to do it instead of instead of saying I believe in myself. He's got a high belief in himself and he thinks he's going to do it. I'm sure internally he feels like he's going to show everybody that I'm not this guy who's going to flame out, that I'm a legit guy who can be a number two receiver in the NFL. And and now he just doesn't want to say it. He wants to do it. And I was I, I did note in my head when he said something along the lines of I have a lot to prove uh, to everybody including the NFL or something like that where as a guy going into his contract year he understands that you know some of the things that he needs to show out there might not just be for the Cardinals it might not have to be for another team and he wants to make sure that people are paying attention to him you know use the word vague earlier that's what I think of when I think of Christian Kirk right now he had that stretch one month or so into the season where he got really hot. And, he, and the big catch, obviously, at Dallas. But then the numbers, Sam, looking at it right here from week 10 through week 15, he was really quiet. 18 catches, only 145 yards through those six games and no touchdowns. And it, it seemed like when a lot of people were asked about Christian Kirk, there was always sort of um, a curious or inquisitive sort of, yeah, you know, not exactly sure what's – like there was something else going on is was he being misused was he being outside 
too much because Larry was inside? Is he now poised for a breakout season because of the fact that with A.J. Green outside, he'll be more inside? Was there something else going on in his personal life? I'm just, this was the thought process I had watching Christian Kirk last year and listening to not only him, but some of the coaches talk about him. And I just, it just seemed perplexing as to what exactly happened to yeah. Christian Kirk last year. I mean, I think from a, a purely football perspective, he's not the elite speed guy and he's not super tall that's going to win like those jump balls like DeAndre Hopkins has so I do think playing outside hurts him a little bit I think he's a more natural slot and I think this is his his best NFL position and I'm excited to see him in an air raid type offense where I think he really fits a slot air raid guy where he can do the bubble screens and and some of those precise intermediate routes and you know, you run mesh with Rondale Moore, and that'll be fun. And there's certain things, um, but you also wonder now about target share because he had every opportunity in the world to get a bunch of passes. Really, all three seasons he's been with the Cardinals because the wide receiver core hasn't been great. And now you've got Rondale Moore and AJ Green, and you've still got Hop. And we haven't even mentioned Julio Jones yet. He's coming, right, Paul? Oh, Jesus! <laughs> and uh, well, social media says so. <laughs> so, so the question is, how like? Christian Kirk has to perform in order to get targets and and it's got to be quick because it's a what have you done for me lately league and it's easy to see him either having a really nice season and showing he's a, a perfect slot receiver or getting lost a little bit and not getting as many targets as he's used to so I think the like the spectrum of possibilities this season for Christian Kirk is really big and I'm intrigued to see how it unfolds for him in 2021. I mean, having 50 million or so you know, between two receivers, DeAndre Hopkins and uh, Julio Jones. I mean, you're telling me that's not feasible as Darren shakes his head over there. Okay. All right. Look, to me, Christian Kirk, the bottom line is, will defensive coordinators have to account for Christian Kirk this year or not? Is he going to be a difference maker? Is he going to be that playmaker that puts some fear in defensive coordinators he's not going to be the Arizona Cardinals number one receiver we know that not with D hop around but is he going to be someone that defensive coordinators have to think about it makes me it's sort of the inverse of pre Chandler Jones one of the reasons the Cardinals went out and made the trade for Chandler Jones was ostensibly you know there wasn't a a single pass rusher the Arizona Cardinals had that offensive coordinators had to worry about and and you want Christian Kirk as a former second round pick to be someone that the opposing defense has to worry about. And there have been those moments, but there hasn't been that arrival yet. Let me ask this question to the two of you. You guys can each answer it how you see fit. What is harder for a defensive coordinator to deal with? Hop on one side, uh, Christian Kirk on the outside, on the other side, and Larry Fitzgerald in the slot, or Hop on one side, A.J. Green on the other side, and Christian Kirk in the slot, which is more difficult to defend? The latter. Yeah, I would say if A.J. Green actually gets some targets that are catchable this year, then I would go with the latter. I'd go with the A.J. So, Green equation, I mean, yes. I, I mean, if you, I would tend to agree with that. And, and if you do, if you're saying that, then I do think that Christian Kirk can make an impact because I just automatically, I think defenses are going to have to defend the middle of the field a little bit differently. Well, as Kyle tells us, they're going 10 personnel with Rondale Moore as the swing guy, so the Tyreek Hill and that whole thing. So it'll be four receivers, and then Christian Kirk really will have single coverage. Yeah, and, and I think D-Hop is obviously always going to be the number one way 
defenses want to stop the Cardinals is to take him away and Kyler running around is number two or one a and I don't think Christian Kirk rises to that level I mean you if we look at it from a another team's perspective he's about a 700 800 yard receiver type guy and you look at other teams that come in and those type of guys you're not game planning to stop them so until he becomes a legitimate you know thousand yard guy and maybe he does get into the slot and he's a big time nuisance and he turns into a a Julian Edelman or somebody because I, I think Christian Kirk is a very good route runner and I think he's smart and I think it could work but until he shows that, I don't think defenses early in the season are going in saying, where's Christian Kirk? I think it's, where's D-Hop? Where's Kyler? And we'll see what Rondell Moore does. But with his speed, with his short area quickness, I think maybe early on, if he picks it up, teams are keeping an eye on him like we thought that might be the Andy Isabella role. But if, if Rondell Moore is going in motion and faking these jet sweeps, I think that's getting the defense's attention more so than Christian. By the way, if Larry Fitzgerald, comes back because there's always a way to just shoehorn number 11 into the podcast here is there really a spot for him where does he fit if Larry Fitzgerald comes back Uh, if we're all sitting here in the trust tree and we're being as realistic as Chase Edmonds and Christian Kirk and being as honest where what exactly would his role be I think that's an excellent question and that's why it just makes a lot of sense for you to sit back and say it looks like he's probably going to retire because where where does he play? And the problem Larry has now is if somebody says, well, then he should just go somewhere else. Well, the Cardinals aren't the only team that's basically set up their roster already. So I don't know. I thought we figured it out. He's the number one locker room teaser. <laughs> well, the only scenario being realistic. Stuff stir. Yeah. The, the only thing feasible, and I hate to say this, but if Andy Isabella isn't tracking to make this team, then Larry's the fifth receiver. Does Larry Fitzgerald want to be the fifth receiver? That's the only scenario with which I can see that that's plausible. Uh, at I least mean, you didn't say. <laughs> no, no, I won't go with the tight end. They just signed another tight end, by the way, uh, this week. And, you know, and Psycho, Bernhard, feel the burn. Bernhard Psychovitz is getting so much attention internationally that, uh, you know, they're going to ride that wave, like, just like the Tim Tebow jersey signings. He's getting so much, uh, he's getting so much attention that uh, the – PR woman for the Vienna Vikings, his team, has uh, recently retweeted the tattoo tweet. (laughs) (laughs) Nice. And Austria is now number eight on our most downloaded podcast list. So shout out out Austria and maybe uh, we can get them up to like top five after this episode. I would have known that. I would have pandered to the Austrian uh, listeners a little earlier in the podcast. So that's good. Wasn't Cambodia on that top ten and I'm still trying to figure out how? Can always get worse, Darren. And if your neck tattoo goes international, boom, there you go. (laughs) That's how that works. That's uh, that's good. We build that international European audience over there and then that's the next international game for the Arizona Cardinals. You guys all think it's going to be Mexico City. Oh, no, <laughs> not at all. Uh, by the way, speaking of Rondell Moore, you guys can have your quotes over there on azcardinals.com. Yeah, you got a good one, Paul. You know, you guys can have your pictures splashed above the fold on <laughs> azcardinals.com and all your tweets retweeted while the rest of us go two-plus years without a single retweet. Whatever! Whatever! We had director of player personnel Drew Grigson on the Big Red Rage, and he had some good stuff to say about Rondale Moore. Uh, here's one for you. When he hits it straight line, it's unbelievable, said Grigson, but this kid's ability to move laterally, this kid teleports. He doesn't just change directions. 
It's unbelievable to watch. He's a video game in real life. I heard one of the defensive coaches say the other day, quote, this kid looks quick in slow motion. I'm excited to see him for 17 games for us. Drew Grigson on Rondale Moore, everybody. Man, we're on fire this week just getting good quotes. Was that you or Wolf that asked the question, though? I'm pretty sure because uh, Wolf's not here to defend himself that it was absolutely <laughs> entirely yours truly. There you go. Yep, yep. Just a bunch of newsbreakers around <laughs> this table. <laughs> and he also called Rondale Moore arguably the best run-after-catch guy in the draft. Yeah. Because, look, you can have the straight-line speed all you want, and – a lot of guys, not a lot of guys, but there are enough guys who can run a 4-3, even a sub-4-3. But you know what? If you can't make anyone miss, if you don't have that explosiveness laterally as well as straight ahead, then that's not all that difficult to defend in a league where everybody can run virtually on defense. So, And then there was this stat I think you cited, Kyle, right? His, first, his only full season in college football, he was off the charts in making guys miss, right? Yeah, most most missed tackles by a receiver since 2014. I don't think anybody has more. I think it was 37 or 47 during the season. And, yeah, I mean, we, we look back and – You've seen a lot of why are they drafting this same guy when they took Andy Isabella and it hasn't worked out these first two years. But I think that's the thing that Andy Isabella hasn't shown yet is that lateral movement, that short area quickness, that ability to get yards after catch. We've we've seen Andy Isabella go deep and catch long bombs, but not a lot of the bubble screens, the jet sweeps like that stuff hasn't worked out for him. And that's the belief is Rondale Moore can do it. Like you said, when you say somebody teleports when they're changing directions, that obviously means you think he can really move laterally. And I think this offense has been missing that element like we talked about last week, and and that's what it needs to really open things up. And a lot of eyes are going to be on Rondale Moore, and can he be that piece that they've been searching for and they haven't found? And I haven't analyzed his game film other than seeing some of the highlights, but when you get a look at him like we did during rookie minicamp, and yeah, he's 5'7", but he's every bit of 180-plus, and you see the legs in this guy, and he can squat more than 600 pounds. I'm guessing he has the ability to break an arm tackle or two. Yeah. And, and quite honestly, Andy Isabella isn't breaking many arm tackles. He just isn't. When he gets in the clear, he's gone, but that's not going to happen very often in the NFL. you got to create your own space to use an NBA term. I found it interesting in the the latest episode of uh, Flight Plan, which you can find on the, on the team's YouTube channel, and uh, it was it's about the draft. and And what really caught my eye was there was uh, significant footage of both when the Cardinals were waiting to get Zayvon Collins in the first round and Rondale Moore in the second round. and And editing is what it is, but still, I was taken a little bit by how certain they sounded about targeting those guys those particular guys because both those guys you weren't sure okay are they going to maybe go with a cornerback in the second round and and I know they didn't trade up and I don't know who all was on the board at the time but you know they sound they sounded very much like hey we're, we're taking this guy we're, we really want this guy uh and and Collins was the same way it sounded like especially once those cornerbacks were off the board early they wanted Zayvon Collins the whole way so uh that that impressed me because you're trying to you know pick these guys that people weren't 100 percent sure okay why exactly you're taking them when it comes to more you know you you can't help but agree with what you guys are saying which is essentially he brings something that they don't have okay maybe they were hoping Andy Isabella was going to bring that but he didn't and and you gotta you gotta find that and sitting around waiting for Andy Isabella look 
it'd be the best thing in the world if Andy Isabella found something out and you had duplicate guys going into training camp who could do the exact same thing. Then you, you're able to trade one of them and you can get something out of it. But if, if Andy Isabella hasn't made that step forward, then you got to find that role because obviously you feel like it was needed in the offense. What's interesting to me is after the Cardinals selected Rondell Moore, you saw Dwayne Eskridge go to the Seattle Seahawks shortly thereafter, a similar size player. You saw Tutu Atwell go to the Rams. 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 So those two guys are going to be in the division, and those are going to be comps from the get-go, guys who went right after him because very similar. And then when you saw 10 picks later at 59 overall, Terrace Marshall out of LSU go to Carolina. There's the big receiver who was on the board, 6'2", 210. I just looked it up, 23 touchdown receptions in his LSU career. That's number four in LSU history for a receiver. So you have that dynamic where the big receiver goes after Rondale Moore, just like you had the similar dynamic of what happened after Andy Isabella was drafted two years ago. Yeah, the DK Metcalf pick that every Cardinals fan will remind us about. Um, Yeah, it's always a gamble and a risk and who knows how those four or five receivers are going to work out. I mean, odds are that you don't get the best one when you, when there's four you're talking about, but I don't think there are many questions about Rondell Moore's skill set. even though he's five, seven, I feel like the durability was maybe the big issue and not playing a bunch his last two seasons, because I just go back to what he did as a freshman and just doing so such special things in a big conference at 18 years old is just it just tells you something when somebody does that against older players and it just seems so easy for him that I, I don't know I, I'm I, I feel pretty confident about what Rondell Moore can do I obviously haven't seen him in camp or anything but just knowing that he, he seems intelligent he seems like he works hard he's got this natural ability I think everything is lining up for him to be a pretty pretty impact contributor as a rookie in fact on the big red rage director of player personnel drew grigson busted out a holy cannoli stat i had not heard this one before i was not aware that only three players in college football history have been true freshmen and voted consensus all americans adrian peterson herschel walker and rondale moore i'm like wow okay yeah that that's going to get your attention and, and i get it they're all american teams and yeah, the media's involved with like, but if you're that much of a standout as an 18-year-old true freshman, uh, there's got to be some serious talent in you a- as a player, and-, and you can see why the Cardinals, despite all the injuries in 2019 and 2020 and the shortened season, why they're bullish on just one full season what they saw out of the kid. It's just remarkable. My question is, does he get utilized differently than a typical slot receiver? Do you guys envision... Uh, that this coming season a Rondell Moore will truly be more like a Tyreek Hill? Do you, do you think that we're going to see different aspects of Cliff Kingsbury's offense, either different parts of the playbook already in existence utilized, or they're going to create different sort of things just for Rondell Moore, and how different do you think the offense will look just with the addition of this kid's skill set? I, I think that's probably the intention. We'll see how it plays out. But when you mentioned like the Rams and the Seahawks taking those other guys, I mean, I, I think everybody's trying to find their Tyreek Hill air quotes. And, and, you know, none of those guys are necessarily as good as him. Uh, maybe they can be at some point, but um, everybody's looking for that, that little advantage. And going into this draft, I, 
you know, the stuff I had read was it was deep and wide receiver if you were willing to get the slot guys. Um, there, there were some big guys, obviously, that were worth it, the, you know, Jamar Chases of the world. But uh, ultimately, the depth of wide receiver in this draft came because of the smaller guys. And it, it only makes sense. Again, we've talked about this a million times. The NFL tries to fight this stuff, but ultimately uh, it's starting to absorb more and more of the college game into it. And, and it just makes a lot of sense to get a guy who can do all these little things, take a jet sweep or, you know, take a swing pass out of the backfield or or play in the slot or even once in a blue moon, maybe line up outside just to see what happens with the speed. Hey, a decade ago, the Rams took Tavon Austin. Yeah. Number eight overall, if memory serves. That didn't work out all that great. Didn't work out. So there's always the risk reward uh, of that sort of player. And and it's not just in the last couple of years. Teams have been trying it basically the last decade plus, trying to get that sort of guy who can everybody now stretch a defense, take the top off or what have you, and at least be the eye candy. I Andy obviously never worked out, so we better think of something for Rondell more quick. I Rondell doesn't have the same no. ring to it. No, I got to figure I, that out. But, I mean, NFL defenses are – I got it. Ron Dandy. No. Keep going. We can edit that out, please. <laughs> I, I think uh, you know NFL defenses are just so much faster. Where he runs a four two nine. I mean, that was the pro day. That was probably hand time. So maybe it's low four threes if it was laser timed. But whatever. He's he's very fast. But defenses have fast guys, and it's sometimes it translates, and sometimes it doesn't. And I I don't think he's going to be like Tyreek Hill as a rookie in the sense that he's your number one option down the field on a lot of plays, but I feel like he's going to be, we're going to design five plays a game and we know this ball is going to Rondell Moore bubble screen or jet sweep or whatever, and just see what he can do in space. And then I think his, the, the, the idea and the snaps will grow and the, the target share will grow once he shows he can do some of the more downfield routes and, I mean, he looks like a pretty good receiver from the tape I've seen, but when you got D Hop and AJ Green and Christian Kirk already, you got three established receivers. So I still feel like he might be that specialist early on, and then we'll just see where it goes from there. I mean, if you saw Cardinals Flight Plan season four, episode two that just came out, uh, you know, there's several takeaways. You know, there's some of the uh, tidbits like, oh, I don't know, uh, number nine, Cole McDonald has the best flow going, the best hair out the back of his helmet. That was one takeaway. <laughs> yeah. Number 30 made a nice uh, one-headed grab where he opened up the hips. He might be a prospect on the Pauly Pigskin breakout player camp as soon as I figure out which number 30 he is on the roster because there's two right now, so I have to figure that one out. And then uh, there's also other takeaways like in the war room when they were talking about Rondale Moore – how often they cited the return game. And guys, when we talk about wants and needs in the offseason and trying to check that box, Cardinals haven't had a lot to talk about when it comes to the return game the last couple of years. And we all remember Pat P as a rookie and how dynamic he was and how close he was to the NFL record of five punt returns, a shoelace away against Seattle Seahawks. He had to settle for four. So, you know, you think about, at least I think of a Rondale Moore, Man, if you can just rip off one, maybe two, during the course of a season in a division game, say, against the Rams or the Seahawks, I mean, how invaluable is that? Because it sounds like Steve Kime definitely coveted that, definitely valued that aspect of a Rondell Moore. And, and I'm guessing he's been sitting up there 
in the owner's suite watching Arizona Cardinals games the last couple of years going, man, we're getting a lot of nothing out of our return game. I, I think that's fair. I mean, obviously kickoff returns are, I think, limited anymore with the way the rules are. But punt returns are something that the Cardinals have not gotten a lot out of. Um, and, you know, coincidentally, I mean, who are two of the guys that they were hoping to be the punt returners the last couple of years? Christian Kirk, Andy Isabella, those guys didn't quite – turn out the way they would want and so right now it's multiple choice which second round receiver is going to be your return guy oh I think it's going to be more I mean I I think that was the other thing that you did kind of notice when you watched flight plan was the uh, comments in real time about how they wanted to take guys who were going early that needed to play right away and that's a little bit different than what they've been doing and we've seen it already we talked about it on recent podcasts about Zayvon Collins stepping in and, and being a starter from day one which it looks like it's going to be. And I don't think Rondale Moore is going to be a starting receiver, but he's absolutely going to have a role. And you're, you're right. Part of it is going to be with Jeff Rogers and the special teams. Uh, let's get back to the analytics, Kyle. I see your Jones in over there. You're starting to shake a little bit. We got to get back to the numbers. So uh, Rodney Hudson, what was it? He was just honored by pro football focus as uh, the top. Was it just pass blocking center or overall center? Overall center. Um, yeah, the number one center of, among their rankings going into 2021. It's just kind of an abstract list where it's not necessarily looking at one metric, but saying that his body of work has been the most impressive among centers in these last few years. And I'm sure they consider age and all that, but they still said that they think he's the best based on what he's done basically the last six years five of which he's been the number one rated pass blocking center. So mm. even last year was a down year, quote unquote, and he was number seven in the NFL. So clearly it's going to be a, a significant upgrade on the interior. And we've talked about this before, but when you play Aaron Donald twice a season and you've got some defensive tackles on this schedule, which can give you some problems, if Rodney Hudson can anchor down and stop that interior pressure, and especially he could do it one-on-one -on -one and then you can kind of double other guys and, and work that out. Like that's a big deal. Interior pressure to me is messes up a play faster than anything. When a guy is right there, a quarterback can't step up. It just messes up the rhythm of everything. So I think the center position is obviously significantly upgraded. And as long as Rodney Hudson does what he's done these last five, six years, the Cardinals will be in great shape. And guess what? When your quarterback is under six feet tall, and you get guys right. coming right up the A-gap, Good point. Uh, that's problematic. Yeah. There's no doubt about it. I love the number. You mentioned the pass blocking. According to Pro Football Focus, and don't ask the likes of Justin Pugh as for his opinion as to how Pro Football Focus – although, you know what, Justin? Stop complaining because last year you were one of the highest-rated guys yeah. in the Pro Football Focus radar. So, okay, none of that. Don't take them to task with their Twitter account anymore. Since 2015, Rodney Hudson has played 3,445 – pass blocking snaps and he's allowed three sacks wow three think about that in almost 3500 pass blocking snaps and hence one of the reasons one of the main reasons he is rated your number one overall center going into this coming season probably worth a third round pick <laughs> i mean and and then and look the last thing I'm ever qualified for in this world is play offensive line but we've heard offensive linemen talk about it for 20 years around here and, and just how invaluable it is to have the experience of a guy making those calls. It's one of the reasons A.Q. Shipley immediately beat out Mason Cole a few years ago, and Mason Cole was drafted with the express intent and purpose of beating out the veteran A.Q. Shipley. It's while Lyle Senline was brought back. It just 
the trust factor in having a guy who can look at a defensive front, especially with all the craziness going on these days, and being able to diagnose and, and just bring that level of calm, A, in diagnosing the front and making the calls in the, in the pass pro, and then B, actually delivering and holding up at the point of attack and instilling some trust in your quarterback so he can feel like, yes, I can sit in the pocket and go through my reads and progressions. And look, if there's one thing that – at least according to Kurt Warner on the Big Red Rage, that Kyler Murray needs to improve upon is just that, staying in the pocket, going through his reads, finding his second, third, maybe the fourth option every once in a while, not feeling that inclination to get out of the pocket and make all these dazzle plays. You should be able to reduce that to three, four, five, maybe a half dozen per game as opposed to 10 or 12 per game, those wow plays as Kurt Warner calls it. And if Kyler Murray can do that, and start beating those defenses on a more regular basis with his mind and his accuracy, then that's, to me, how this Cardinals offense takes the next step. I, I don't disagree with you. I think they need to do it. I do wonder sometimes if Kurt ever had the and, – and please don't take this the wrong way, Kurt. I've seen you on the basketball court. I understand that you're an athlete. But if he was as athletic as Kyler Murray was during his NFL career, you wonder a little bit if he would have had a different mindset because if you can't do it, of course you're going to want to stay in the pocket. But sure. anyways, yeah. uh, I no, I, I agree with that 100%. And, and I, I don't think there's any – to me, uh, for all the additions they've made this offseason, I think Rodney Hudson is easily the most important. By, I, don't, I don't think it's close, and you guys can argue with me, but I, I think to me Rodney Hudson is by far the most important addition they've made to this roster. Hmm. I'd say what? Well, you're I wrong, think, but that's okay. I think Watts' high-end ability versus the low-end concern of injuries, I think whatever happens with J.J. Watt, I think will significantly affect this team more so than Rodney Hudson. I'd go with Watt as well, but this is where you might have to call security. It's because I would also factor in the leadership uh, <laughs> ability that J.J. Uh, Watt brings, not just the play, but the person J.J. Watt is and, and what he's already doing from what we it's understand fair. behind Look, the I, scenes and, and, you know, just uh, holding I'm guys. I'm not trying to bash J.J. Watt. So, you know, but uh, changing the locker room maybe a little take, bit. Get so. everybody offended. But you know what? Rodney Hudson is known as that kind of guy as well on the offensive side of the ball. So Steer clear, Paul. You know, you can get those guys in there, which, of course, brings us to a totally different topic. Phew. Uh, no, speaking of, of Kyler, uh, what'd you guys make him getting some of those throws in with AJ green? Uh, once again, I need an explanation here. Was this in the Dallas area where he lives and I trains? Would anticipate it was on, it was on Kyler's, uh, Instagram stories and, and AJ green ended up putting out on his Instagram account, basically just, uh, copying what Kyler had. So, um, I assume it's in the Dallas area, uh, which is interesting because I don't think AJ green is normally in the Dallas area, but. Um, so, but it's good that, I mean, I, the first thing I thought of, to be honest, was when everybody was cringing all last off season, because when's Kyler going to throw to D hop? When's Kyler going to throw to D hop? Well, Kyler got a chance to throw to AJ green. So all's yeah. right in the world. All right. So if you're looking for the next great quote, somebody needs to find Carlos Dansby because I did a, an event with Carlos Dansby. Aren't you supposed to be finding Carlos Dansby? So I said somebody other than me because okay. I'm failing, even though I was talking to Carlos Dansby less than two months ago. And over the course of the conversation during this alumni event, the uh, A.J. Green edition came up. Now, I forgot that Carlos Dansby was a teammate of A.J. Green for oh, yeah. one year in Cincinnati. I believe Maybe two. I think it was two, I think. He said, and I loosely quote, he's never played with 
any other teammate who practiced as hard as A.J. Green. Hmm. And I said, wow, that's quite a statement considering you played a number of years with number 11, who's known it. He said, or 24. Yeah, he said, no one has ever practiced as hard as he's seen A.J. Green go at it on a daily basis. So that's intriguing. When and if we get this whole veterans mini camp and we're allowed to watch, I'm going to have an eye on number 18. I I mean, I think – he's critical this season where if he if he does practice hard and obviously that translates into production and being 85 80 percent of what he used to be I think that transforms the offense completely because I you know DeAndre Hopkins is going to be great and I think we we kind of have an idea that Christian Kirk is going to be a decent contributor and what is AJ Green is he the guy he used to be is he is he done I mean is he just going to not be physically capable of separating anymore or is he in between I mean there's all these different things that could happen with AJ Green I think that's a big deal and I I mean it's good that him and Kyler have worked out together but I I think like the big deal is how does AJ Green produce how does Kyler read defenses like you were saying earlier like I think the offseason stuff is is fine but for those guys like I just want to see them in camp and I want to see them in live action when there's blitzes and and when there's press man like that to me is when we're going to see within maybe the first six weeks of the season what those two guys are doing well two things kyle we can't just say hey we just want to see him in camp because we've got a lot of podcasts to fill up before then so we're going to talk about them throwing in a dome somewhere in dallas and also carlos dansby played one year with the Bengals. one year with the Bengals. okay 2016. Uh, I'm going to double down on the whole former Bengal assessment and A.J. Green. Frosty Rucker was on a recent edition of the Big Red Rages offseason, and he said, and I loosely quote again, guys, I wouldn't be surprised if A.J. Green is your NFL comeback player of the year. Hmm. And I pushed back on the whole comeback player of the year a little bit, and he said, look, he's no longer going to be the number one focus of defenses. That's DeAndre Hopkins. Number two, he gets off the turf in Cincinnati, which is one of the first things Carlos Dansby said as well. So with all due respect to the Bengals, uh, your playing service does not, and practice facility service, doesn't have a great reputation among former players. So everybody who's left the Bengals apparently looks forward to getting on real grass. And then Frosty Rucker said, look, just check the numbers and how few catchable balls he was thrown. If Kyler Murray's accuracy results in a lot of targets that are actually catchable balls and he's not catching it between two or three guys as was normally the case in Cincinnati because he was all the, always the focal point of defensive pass coverages. And, and think about – if you think about in the last, I don't know, 15 years, name the three top receivers – I was talking to Wolf about this – when it comes to catching the ball in traffic, contested catches. Would you say Larry Fitzgerald – DeAndre Hopkins, one or two, either one. And then, could I argue, A.J. Green, when it comes to making the contested catch. So, with all that in mind, Frosty Rucker stated a case that his choice for NFL Comeback Player of the Year this year is number 18, A.J. Green. And by the time he was done, I was nodding my head. I said, okay, that's a compelling case. Not say it's going to materialize because who knows exactly what the ankle is like and there were some moments where I think there were five games last year for Cincinnati. I looked it up. He had zero catches. Zero catches. So, to me, that is a great unknown. What are the Arizona Cardinals going to get out of A.J. Green in 2021? Yeah, and if, if that happens, this offense should be top 10. I mean, if, if A.J. Green plays that well and you figure D-Hop stays healthy, 
and you're talking about two Pro Bowl wide receivers and Kyler's legs, like that's on offense, it's going to be tough to stop. But as I said, I want to I want to see it on the field and and see what happens. I mean, there's there's easy ways to talk yourself into a lot of these guys right now. And then as we know, we get into camp and it's not there. So I don't know what Christian Kirk and AJ green and chase Edmonds are going to do this season. There's an upside to all of them, but there's also a downside of them not reaching that. So I I think you have the constants in Kyler Murray and Deandre Hopkins, and you know, they'll both be above average and in Hopkins case, a, a star. And then beyond them, I think this kind of skill group for the Cardinals there's a, a lot of unknown at this point. Including Darren's neck tattoo. So as we wrap up this edition of Cardinals Underground, brought to you by Pacific Office Automation, proud partner of the Arizona Cardinals, where do we stand uh, on the mandatory 1,000 retweets? I mean, Larry retweeted it. It must have achieved that level. Did he retweet it? Did he? Re- or did he just responded to it? I think he just responded okay. to it. Okay. All right. I'm just curious. You know, Where are we? And uh, what is it going to take? It was in the 800 level or okay. something. I think right. Austria might get us over the top or Cambodia. In Austria, what sort of neck tattoo would be most popular in Austria? Were there any suggestions, any value-added suggestions, perhaps, in the comments section? You, you do realize neck tattoo only came from Fitz. It wasn't the <laughs> part of the original tweet. You're starting to sweat it a little bit, folks. <laughs> what about the mailbag? Did you get any uh, free advice in the mailbag when but, it came but to but the I neck tattoo? I will say this. The, uh, He's still getting Daryl Washington questions, <laughs> but nothing on the neck tattoo. <laughs> the the tattoo uh, the tattoo thing sprung up a little bit after I took I figured out this week's question, so okay. I'm anticipating potential next week, but we'll see. I don't know. You, I, I'm not going to be around here to knock around next week, so. <laughs> Oh, that's right. Okay. Well, you know what? You wouldn't be the first guy to go on vacation and come back with a (laughs) neck tattoo. And we'll leave it there on Cardinals Underground, brought to you by Pacific Office Automation. Look out.